gentlemen, welcome to another episode of Spieling and Dealing. I am Patrick S. Harrison. I am here with my Jewish brother, Sam Oliver. And I think today we have the biggest episode in show history. A lot to talk about. Bold claim. A lot to talk about. Uh, later, we're going to be talking about the Mandalorian season two finale, uh, as well as the second episode of Your Honor. And we completed the first season of Industry. I'm very excited to talk about that with you, Sam. But first, I have a question for you. Hit me. Do you consider us already a celebrity couple? Of course. I do too. The reason I ask is some big news came out this week about casting for a Hulu limited series based on Pamela Anderson and Tommy Lee. And they've announced that playing Pam Anderson is going to be Lily James, and Tommy Lee is going to be Sebastian Stan. Now, do you have any thoughts on this casting, and what is your level of excitement for this series in general? It sounds interesting. I mean, they had a lot of antics, so it could be could be fun. Uh, I wonder, do you think that Sebastian Stan's casting was just him pulling his pants down? And like playing the drums? I, what do you mean? Like Tommy Lee has a famously large penis. Oh, I didn't, I don't know. I I have no idea. But uh, anyway, uh, Lily James, I like her as an actress. I don't know if she's like right. She doesn't really strike me as like the Pamela Anderson look. She's a brunette, I think. My only problem with the casting is, you know, what is up with these foreigners taking American jobs? Yeah. Right. That is what I don't like. Is Pam Anderson Canadian? She is Canadian. Oh, is she, she, damn it. Okay, whatever. Her still, kids, her kids are probably American. Huh? Yeah, you're right. You're right. So I take that back. But I, I actually like the casting. I think it's kind of against type for her, and I'm excited to see her uh, go to a different place. I'm, I'm. I have to say, I am very excited about this show. I like both of these castings. Uh, I don't know if you saw the director of this show is a guy named Craig Gillespie who directed the I Tanya movie. And mm, mm. I, I think that's a perfect fit for this story. It, it kind of is, yeah. If they bring that same kind of humor to that, this story, I think it could be very interesting. Uh, also, I don't know if you saw, uh, Seth Rogen is actually playing the guy who got his hands on their honeymoon sex tape and then per- leaked That's it. perfect. That is great, yeah. So the show is going to explore the theme of celebrity privacy, which I think is a really interesting theme to explore. I'm, I gotta say Everything about this, this is something I'm really looking forward to this show now. It, it does sound pretty, it sounds pretty good. Now, Sam, piggybacking off this, I was wondering, is there any other celebrity couples who you would think would make an interesting television series? So there's, there definitely are. I, I wrote a bunch down, but I'm going to, I'm going to narrow it down. So one, I think we're going back in time, Elvis and Priscilla Presley. Okay. Love it. Great choice. Elvis. Priscilla was like famously very, very young, pro- probably underage when they met. And then they broke up um, and, it, you know, they had a, apparently a very loving relationship and he was very much in love with her. And he, do you ever listen to that episode of a revisionist history, Malcolm Gladwell? This is what you had me thinking of it just now. Yeah. So that, uh, that he wrote this song about their breakup and how much it kind of devastated him. And he had trouble singing this song. Anyway, I thought that'd be a very interesting way to go because you know the their relationship started interesting and ended interesting i'm gonna go with the next one with kim and kanye 
I had that on my list as well. Okay, because yeah. you just know the the crazy Kanye hijinks that we just don't see behind the scenes are uh, got to be great for. Inter- I mean, someone's gonna write fiction on that, and it's gonna be entertaining as hell, right? Um, the last one I gotta go with is Tiger Woods and and his ex wife Elon Nordigan. Like, just to get to the scene where he she chases him out the door with a golf club and beats the back of the uh, SUV window in man, that would, that would be some entertaining television to me. The ending would certainly be interesting. Did you read that Tiger Woods biography that came out a couple years ago? I did not. It was terrific. Apparently there was this woman in college who was just like, really excellent to Tiger and he just like left, like he'd been with her for years and he just left her stone cold with like a note that said like, I don't want to be with you anymore. I mean, he was banging porn stars and whatever while he was married and Elon is like, you know, she's a beautiful woman. She is. Yeah. I came up with a couple of my own. Uh, the first one I think that could work would be a series about the love relationships in Fleetwood Mac. Okay. And I think now is the time, you know, dreams came back, had a big comeback this year. Um, that, you know, I think all the drama between, you know, Mick Fleetwood, Stevie Nicks and Lindsey Buckingham, I think could make uh, a very compelling series. Uh, I also went with, uh, Marshall Mathers and his Kim. I had that on my list. I know that was partially covered in Eight Mile, but I think you just sort of focused on like just their relationship and you know like throughout his celebrity career as well, not just ending with I mean, him rap. It wasn't even in basement, really so. com- covered in Eight Mile. Yeah, because like, that's a mostly happy relationship. Well, and it was most it was it was based on it was mostly fiction. I think. I mean. Yeah. Yeah. But. Uh, and then yeah, I also had Kim and Kanye, uh, and then. To transition here, I, I was hesitant. I didn't want to make any relationships about actors because like, I don't like the idea of actors playing other actors. But I think a series about Tom Cruise and any of his wives or girlfriends would make a fascinating series. Tom Cruise and Scientology because he's married to Scientology. Yeah, it, it sounds like, yeah, you know, like he had very restrictive of Katie Holmes, Penelope Cruz, Nicole Kidman. So I'd, I'd love to be a fly on the wall in any of those relationships. I almost wrote down Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman on my list here that would be fascinating so let's let's just segue right now good segue uh, yeah i mean tom was obviously in the news this week uh a like his giant his rant from the set of mission impossible 7 came out this week where he you know railed against uh crew members for breaking covid19 uh protocols uh sam how much did you enjoy this rant and do you think it was justified so we listened to it uh, the other night it was excellent listening to it um you know i read a couple articles about it after after we listened to it okay i don't care about these articles so i care about your take right i'm gonna give you my take i'm okay. just uh but to give you context right so mm-hmm. um i think he was justified i also think he overreacted so what happened is two people were standing like too close to each other next to a monitor or something it didn't say that they were not masked. It didn't say that they were touching each other or something. So it seems to me that seems to be an over, like the way, the way he went off on them seems to be an overreaction. That said, I don't think he's wrong. Also, I'm sure he's under immense pressure making this movie. Um, like he probably went through a lot of hoops to get them to start shooting again. And apparently like he rented two cruise ships to like f- house all the crew in isolation while they were filming in like Italy. I read that. 
So like he's that's a smart move because as we found out, people on cruise ships <laughs> cannot get COVID. But, okay, that's one thing we've learned these but last. Like year. point is he's he's put a lot of effort into making this movie. Um, clearly, he's taking it seriously, and I don't think he's wrong when he was in the rant about talking about um, you know people's jobs depending on. He's right, like you know they're they're creating a lot of jobs, and the fact that that keeps going is important to you know sustain these jobs. And he's also right that like people in Hollywood are using them. I don't know if how specifically accurate is, but you know, movies that are successful shooting through COVID are using that, you know, if they're successful, that's going to be the bar. So I think he's right. I do think he overreacted. I mean, who knows if they've been constantly breaking the rules. Um, and that was just like the, the pinnacle of his anger, but, um, he wasn't wrong. He wasn't wrong. And, uh, I also saw that a few members quit like right after that happened, like some five crew members quit. The- I say, I say good. Okay. I love everything about this rant in general. I love when these celebrity rants leak. Yeah. Uh, however, uh, I, I think, and whoever did leak this, I think should be fired. Uh, I, I think Tom is perfectly justified. I'm a huge Tom Cruise fan. Okay. I love Tom and I will support anything that he does. Okay. And I love his passion. That's what I love about Tom Cruise. He goes balls to the wall, okay? This movie had to be shut down in October for a few weeks because there was a COVID outbreak. I I love this rant. This is this is I love the crazy stories about him doing his own stunts. I, I'm wondering if the space pressure is getting to him. You know, he's got that big movie coming up. He's shooting at the International Space Station next. You know, who knows what it is, but I'm all for this. I think anybody who says he went too far, disagree. He's Tom Cruise. I love it. Sam, where does this rank among all time on set slash Hollywood rants for you? What are we counting as? Well, I mean, I only can I, I think guess, of the Christian Bale one, which I also love. I don't have a problem with it. Okay. He's one of the best actors in the world. You're going to move around in the background and distract him. Don't like it. But it also, I think I just wanted to revisit, you know, the classic Gibson rant. Uh, after his well, DUI. That's what my question was. And Were also, we counting those? In the, yeah, also that. And also I think David O. Russell's rant. The Alec, Alec Baldwin, with he rants at his daughter in a voicemail. I forgot about that one. Yeah. I'm going to have to go back to that one. I like that. But I, I didn't know if we were counting those because those aren't, no, sure. those aren't like on set breakdowns. I count. And also the David O. Russell, uh, I Heart Huckabee's rant. If you haven't heard it, people, go look it up. This one's up there just because it's justified in a way. Like it's mm-hmm. the least cringy. Yeah. Um. I mean, I, I just like the Christian Bale one's entertaining, but I disagree that like he's like there's a power dynamic there that's not fair. You know, that's part of the reason this Tom Cruise one is kind of, I think, an overreaction. Like, you know, what are they going to say to Tom Cruise? Like, you know. But anyway, but it's like the movie depends on these people. You know, it doesn't depend on well, like, then, the and like I'm saying, he he was somewhat justified. I think he overreacted, but he was somewhat justified. But like in, in the Christian Bale one, it was really a kind of like if you're pissed that people are walking around in the background, fine. But like if you start yelling at them, they you know they're just like average people. You know, they they don't make a lot of money. Like I disagree though. I've been on film sets. People should know to like stand still, mind their place, don't distract the talent. And you have very limited time on shooting days. And everything is on the clock. So I don't blame Christian Bale at so all. So Christian Bale's rant didn't take up that time? He's trying to like set a tone. Make like he, He's talent, okay? You got to put up with that stuff. I personally love the rant. I love his intensity. Uh, I, I think you have to take your craft that seriously to be as good at acting as he is. 
Now, Sam, I wanna, I'm excited to talk about all these shows with you today, but you told me today that there's an update on the PS5 watch. So Please, tell me where we're at. So yesterday, Walmart put some on sale, or restocked, I should say. I got into the site. I got one in my cart. I was filling out, I filled out the shipping information, went to pay, and then said it wasn't in my cart anymore, and it was out of stock. I was that close. I was that close. So the PS5 search goes on reluctantly. Okay. Sam, let's move on. I want to talk about the show we just watched. Okay. The season two finale of The Mandalorian, chapter 16, The Rescue. I I wanted to talk for a while without spoilers, but... Instead, what I'm going to do is, people, if you have not seen this finale, I want you to jump forward to the next show that we talk about. There will be a time link in the show notes. I don't I think it's impossible to talk about without spoiling. Sam, I'm going to go first here, okay? Please. Uh, and I, I, I don't want to be negative about the show. From I actually think this was a very good season finale, okay? It, it did some things that I... I feel like this actually moved the story forward. Uh, the Mando confronts who I feel like was set up as the biggest villain of the show, this Moth Gideon guy with the dark saber, right? Uh, they go get Yoda, you know, baby Yoda. Groku, I'm sorry, Groku. Grogu. Grogu, uh, how dare I? Okay, they get him. That was Dragon Ball Z, Goku. <laughs> okay, they get him, and what else happened? Oh, there's a giant moment of uh, fan service that happens, which we will talk about in a minute. And also... You know, he and Baby Yoda part ways at the end, uh, which I'm sure we'll talk about in a minute. But in general, I think that there was a lot here for fans to like. Uh, I'm, I'm guessing that they liked it. I'm guessing you liked it. Mm-hmm. It was, first of all, it was fun. Like, you have to admit, that was a fun, there was pretty much action wall to wall. Like you said, it, it kind of concludes, I'll get, we'll get to the, the heavy spoilers in a second, but it, it kind of concludes the arc that was started uh, at the beginning of the show with uh, Baby Yoda and Mando. Um, oh, you think it concludes that arc? Well, for now. Like you don't it, think Baby Yoda's going to be back by episode two of next season? So, actually, we'll talk about that in a second. Um, but it, it does wrap up at least the arc so far. Like, I don't think that this is the end of Baby Yoda in, in uh, at least the, like this Disney plus Star Wars universe, whatever. But um, I definitely think it wrapped up nicely the this first two season storylines. So you hadn't watched like the last three or something like that. Yeah. So this was you only got caught up in the <laughs> in the catch up at the the recap at the beginning of the show, the beginning of the episode. So this was kind of being set up for for a few episodes, um, but. Basically, a few episodes ago, Baby Yoda had communed with the Force and like contacted another Jedi. Supposedly, we didn't know what that happened. So, in this episode, we see the fruits of that. And big reveal, it was Luke Skywalker. It was Mark Hamill. I don't know if it was actually Mark Hamill. It said in the credits it was. That's not important. What's important is the X-Wing you know, comes to this ship that they've invaded to get Baby Yoda back from. And I got to say, we watched it together. You were on the. You were physically on the edge of your seat. So, you were on the edge of your couch here, and I, it's this is a big moment to talk about because so Luke is back, right? And 
maybe I'm just being cynical here. I think you and all the other fans loved it. But to me, it kind of felt cheap. Okay, like a cheap thrill. Uh, like, I feel like fans are being conditioned like Pavlov's dogs to just drool every time like a beloved character is thrown out. And I feel like these moments are not special anymore because of the deluge of Star Wars content that we've had in these past few years, right? Because it's like when Darth Vader came back in Rogue One, it's cool, right? Because we haven't seen him since those classic movies, right? But it's like we see Luke Skywalker today and it's like, oh my God, you know what? I haven't seen him since, oh wait, last December, okay? That, so that's my beef with this big reveal that they used. I'm not going to say you're 100% wrong. I actually hoped it was going to... There were a few other characters it could have been. It does make sense um, as where the story is in both the movies at the time and the expanded like canon, so other show, uh, animated shows, blah, blah, blah. Like It makes sense that he would be the guy to show up. Um, so it doesn't... It wasn't just like a random thing. Like It definitely is there based on where the story was at um, in previous uh, media there. So, but I wished, I wished it was someone different to be honest. Like it's, it was thrilling to see. It was like a, he, they de-aged him, you know, with that same like uh, technology they've been using recently. Um, it didn't look. I thought it looked, I thought it, it looked, looked fine. It looked pretty good. It yeah. looked fine. Yeah. Um, but anyway, he, I wish there was a few, a few other characters it could have been, and I wish they kind of would have done that where you could like build new storylines because there's nowhere to go with the storyline with Luke, really. Um, you're not going to have Mark Hamill de-aged in like, his own show. No, he won't be back. Right, yeah. so like, th there was nowhere to go with this. And I think Baby Yoda will be back, and maybe they'll show Mark Hamill one more time. Baby Yoda's going to be back by episode two of next season. Well, we'll get okay, to that. I'm calling that right we'll, now. We'll get to that in a second, but it's you know that was the kind of conclusion um and basically the uh mando takes his helmet off and they have a very like touching goodbye him and baby yoda and powerful the uh that was an r2 d2 by the way shows up too with luke and um the episode concludes with baby yoda and mark hamill leaving the ship um so it was a very kind of sweet ending there but the there was a post credit scene where you see uh boba fett kind of take over Jabba, Jabba the Hutt's gang at the end. That's the intimation of the scene. So I was reading an article just now that said that that is actually going to be the next season of The Mandalorian. This The Book of Boba Fett is what they named it on the show. So that will be like a new... So I'm curious to see if that's actually true, one, because they haven't announced this at all. This was a complete surprise. And... If that's true, that it'll be the next season. So we're if, not going to have Pedro Pascal. So I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't know if they'll intertwine these stories. I don't know if they'll just do divert for like a season or two. It'll be interesting to see how that plays out because it's coming out. The Mandalorian season three was announced for next December. This was just shown on the screen as being coming out next December. So that's kind of the, the thought process is, oh, wait, that's going to be the next season of The Mandalorian. But we'll have to see if that's the case or not great well sam we have a lot to get to today i want to move on but in general i do want to say I, I think this was a very strong season finale for star wars fans and i know i have been uh cynical on this show and kind of negative so but i i, I thought this was a in general a strong finale and i want to give the show some credit for that 
Uh, anyway, let's take a quick break. We're going to come back. We're going to talk about your honor and also industry. Can't wait to talk to Sam about that. We'll be right back. We are back. This is Spieling and Dealing. Sam, we watched episode two of Your Honor, the Brian Cranston Showtime limited series. How about you start this one out for us? What did you think? I think we're probably on the same page with this. Um, it wasn't great. Uh, there was some strange choices, I feel like. Um Basically, I'll, I'll give it a sum up of the episode. So, spoiler alert here for anyone who's watching. Uh, they tried to ditch the car that, that Brian Cranston's son hit the kid with. So, he calls a friend who calls a cop who calls like one of his sources who gets a gang member, like some just some random kid, not random, but we'll come back to that to just like come take the car from Brian Cranston's house. And he's going to drive it to the scrapyard and ditch it and everything goes wrong. So, you know, we'll save you all the middle parts, but the kid gets caught by corrupt cops who work for the gangster. And this is where to me, it got very dumb and strange and they're trying to interrogate the kid and they decide that the best interrogation method is to gas him which is what like what like in general sam though i'm not hearing did you enjoy this episode where are you at with this show right now i, I don't know i i didn't think it was the terrible episode i mean but the the choices like the police work is ter- I just some choices were stupid and um i don't know if i don't want to keep watching to the end of the show but it definitely wasn't like a good follow-up to the to what you said, the twist of the first episode that you, you and like enjoyed immensely. So yeah, I, it was strange to me. It was just very strange. I don't What, what did you think? I want to start off with a compliment. Okay. This show always surprises me. Okay. No. Uh, I like, for example, when he's getting the car out of the impound lot and it drives over a bump and the muffler from the motorcycle drops out i thought that was a great moment okay i want to go to another moment that was on the show michael stubarg is you know he's grieving the loss he plays the gangster he's grieving the loss of his son and we see a bird cage by a pool okay and we're watching this and you say to me i think he's gonna kick it in the pool okay and i had the same thought right actually i actually thought he's gonna throw it in the pool i had the same thought and then we see stubarg leaves leaves frame uh and then the next thing we know you know, the, the cage is in the bird are being hit with a golf club. Mm-hmm. Okay. The show continuously surprises you. <laughs> but at the end of the day, I still feel like when I watch this show, I still feel like the bird in that cage because watching this show is painful. Okay. Uh, it's, it's 60 minutes long and it feels like 60 minutes. Okay. True. Uh, and personally, I am out on this show. I'm not going to watch anymore. Ten episodes of this is just way too much. And you hinted, there's a few things I don't like about this show. One, uh, the performance and the character of Cranston's son, do not like at all. But at the end of the day, and you hinted at this when, uh, when you talked about the guy who stole the car, they're asking you to accept too many coincidences. Uh, and I just, I can't do it anymore. And you're referencing as the kid who stole the car 
from the first episode was this woman that Brian Cranston, when he was like the son of this woman, yeah, yeah, who was in his court and he like had happened to go to her house to and like basically caught a a cop in a lie and saved her from going to jail. It's like this happened to be the son. Like, so he, uh, you know, was randomly picked by this gang. It was such a coincidence. It was the craziest coincidence. And unnecessary. The yeah, show didn't it, need it to didn't do it. It didn't need to do that. Yeah. Um, you know, it only did it for the scene where she's like begging him to help. It was like the only reason they did that is to have him like. And but Then they convoluted it even more. But there's this lawyer who he. Uh, he was going to get to defend his son, but now he's like asking her out for wine. And then he's like, oh, by the way, can you uh, help this, the son of this woman? Uh, and yeah, you know, uh, he's on, you know, he's being charged with this murder and yeah, oh, he was driving my car. Uh, and then he literally says in the show, I know it's weird, but can you do it? Like the police in this show, even the, the corrupt police, they're terrible. Like they're just so bad at their jobs. Like the, the lack of investigative work into this crime was like shocking. Um, the writing around that was shockingly bad, but anyway, um, yeah, I'm probably with you on this. It, the 10 episodes is, is a lot. Way too many for the show. If it were yeah. maybe like seven, eight, I would say maybe, but oh, it's like to go eight more episodes of this. Oof, yeah. Yeah. I don't have any more to say about this show. I am out. Uh, sounds like you're out as well. Uh, Sam, let's take one more quick break and then we'll come back. We'll talk about industry. Okay, we are back. And I have to say, I am so excited about this segment. Sam, you have been all over the map on industry. First, you were selling stock in it. Then you were buying it up. But now, it's riff day for industry, baby. Sam, at the end of the day, are you a peer point person? Oh, I love this. Let's to use your your stock analogy. I'm not selling, but I'm not buying. Um, let's say I'm holding steady. I the last three. Okay, here's I'll give you credit in the sense that the last three episodes do very well on build on uh, finishing the storylines that were kind of simmering from the beginning. So you're right. You were right on that. Um, I thought that episodes four and five were the best of the show personally um to me it kind of plateaued there maybe dipped a little uh i think so let's just say off the bat we're not going to spoil the very ending for you for you guys out there but we're going to give you some plot details along the way um so ken ken or Sorry, Eric, Ken Ken Lung's character. I looked up how to pronounce his last name, Lung. Eric, he is uh, basically forced to resign because of an incident with Harper, which I want to get to in a second because that was one thing that I had a problem with. But I think the show suffered from his absence, to be honest, because he's barely in the last three episodes. Um, he was so good. as a, uh, His character was so good in the show, and he was so good his as an actor was so good i thought it suffered a bit from his absence because he's maybe has like a handful of scenes that are very short if not like cameo-ish so that was kind of my take um i know you probably loved it you so let me say on the episode six 
before I watched it, you said, this is a great episode, which I wish you hadn't done because I was kept expecting some big, so interesting things happen in it. Like one of the craziest things I've ever seen on television happens in that episode. Um, and I'll let you talk to that if you want to. But uh, I'm guessing you mean the Yasmin and Rob moment? Yes. Um, but I like that was a crazy surprise. But I was expecting some big twist that didn't really come because you told me that. But um, it, that... <laughs> I'll let you let's let's hear your opinion. I, I think you probably love the the last three episodes. You know, it's funny you say like you were expecting some big twist. I think that's the big difference between me and you on this show. Only because like, you, you said that to me though. No, no. I I think the big difference is like you keep expecting all these like intricate plot things to happen. Where I'm perfectly happy just to sort of hang out with these people for an hour. Like I love it. I I love the atmosphere on the show. I love the writing. I love all these actors. Uh, I love the sexual tension. Listen, I highly recommend Industry to People. I, I thought this was a great season of television. I thought eight episodes was just perfect for the story they were trying to tell. I thought it was just a great length. So t- today we're pretty much talking about these last three episodes of the show. And yes, I loved episode six, which was just, it, it was just this debaucherous Christmas party, you know, at this elite investment bank. And I thought it was just great television, just watching what every character was getting up to at this party. Uh, I just immensely enjoyed every minute of it. Uh, there is a you know a, a great sexual moment between uh, Rob and Yasmin in the bathroom. Uh, I don't want to spoil it. Also, my mother listens to this show, so I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> but I thought that was terrific. Uh, at the end of that episode. Uh, well, I get—I don't know if we should spoil this or not. But one guy, there's this one guy who's having a bad day, and at the Christmas party, he goes to war with a wall. Uh, he just—yeah, <laughs> a glass wall. He's uh, trying to break through. Yeah, he's just hammering. He keeps running into it. Um, and at the end of the episode, Harper goes to this guy's house to console him, and she asks him about Eric, and she says, "Do you think Eric's a bad person?" And in response, the guy says to her, "I don't know. I just work with him." And I thought that was a great line. I mean, the show really does, uh, you know, tackle this theme. It's, uh, are we the person who we are at work? You know, does that define us? So that is just a Christmas party episode. Episode seven, I also enjoyed. It was a supper club uh, episode. But episode eight is Rift Day. And so we see what all these characters, you know, Rift Day has been hinted at all season. And I thought it made for like a really great season finale, just how all these characters, uh, you know, explain their value to the company. There's, you know, the I thought the last 10 minutes were fantastic, but we're not going to talk about that, but some great turns really makes it worth uh, staying on for. Obviously, I am much higher on this show than Sam is, but I just got to say, everybody, I highly recommend you watch this show. I think you'll really enjoy it. Uh, check out Industry. So Harper's last, Harper's arc, I should say, is great, is really pays off. Um, won't spoil it. A problem I had is some of her decision-making that's in episode five. Uh, so I didn't know how it would play out when we talked about this in episode five, but she has this tense meeting with Eric where he locks her in a room. And that's essentially where he gets fired for that, locking her in the room. I didn't like that that plot point because it didn't, to me, it didn't make sense in the sense that to up to that point, they were like, he, she was, he was her mentor. Like she, he was like, making sure she got all her due. And then all of a sudden she was in this room with him 
and she was like terrified. I, I didn't buy the the dynamic there, which really is a is a is a through line of the remaining few episodes. That that scene is important to the end of the show. Um, you know what, Sam? Here's what I'll say here. And to be honest with you, I sort of had the same reaction. I was like, you know what? Like this guy has like I've, I love their relationship the entire yeah, show, yeah. but I was almost like, you know what? She owes him better than this. But I'm wondering if we're saying that because like we're two men, and that would never happen to us. We wouldn't be scared. But and so it's different for her being a woman trapped in this room uh, by a man. I really wonder that. If, like maybe like we're really just being ignorant. And here. I, I think, and I that's, think that's, that's possible. I think that's fair. But I, I mean, I just. I just thought it didn't make sense because their relationship had been very strong up to that point. And it seemed like it all hinged on him locking the door and he wasn't violent or anything. He was very angry, but he wasn't violent. I I just, it didn't seem to fit with either of their stories up to that point to me. Um, And it does play a major role through the rest of the, the the episodes. But uh, I do think her, her story paid off from start to finish. I wish there were more exploration of her backstory a little bit that they hint at but um overall her her storyline did pay pay off pretty well one of the strong suits of the show is just that we get to see the point of view from all these different kind of characters like i think yasmin's point of view is so interesting like how she has to put up with kenny and his advances the whole time now and in, in the at the end of the day did you end up liking rob's character at all or no we still out on him i don't know i said i think he does his turn he, he's much more likable by the end. Um, but by the like middle of the show, I said that last time, uh, I, you don't, I don't think, and I don't think he's supposed to be likable in the very first few episodes, but he becomes much more likable as the show moves on. And I do think he's a very likable character. Again, he, he kind of realizes how, you know, he shows up to the rift day thing and I won't spoil what happens, but he kind of realizes who he is and that he, he kind of, really accepts himself, which is, you know, a sort of an admirable trait. And, um, I really thought, I thought back to, I don't know what episode it was, the first or second episodes where he hooks up with that girl at the club, like hooks up in the club with her. And then he tries to go out on a date with her later. And she says, you're a child. She texts him back. It's like, you're a child. Like, um, and he kind of like that kind of reflected in his growth is like, he kind of realizes who he is by the end. And he really grows into himself at this uh, company. Well, Sam, we made it through the end of industry. I've enjoyed talking with you about it. Uh, you are not as high on it as I am, but everybody, I, I recommend watch this. Eight episodes. Uh, one of my favorite shows of the year. I think you'll really enjoy it. But anyway, we're going to take a quick break now. We're going to come back and we're going to deal. We're back and uh, let's let's start dealing a little bit here. All right, Pat. Big news came out the other day. Um, we didn't have time to cover it last time, we were, so we were running a little long. But uh, Giannis signed a contract extension, a massive contract extension with the Bucks. You know the basketball story of the week. Do you think he was right to resign with the Bucks? Depends what you mean by do you think he was right? Do I think it's his best chance to win a title? It's like, no, obviously. He should go hook up with, you know, Steph Curry and some other superstars somewhere. But I I like the decision, personally. I'm glad that it's actually a guy staying in a small market. I think it's cool. I like when guys stay in one place for a long time. And I like Giannis. I think he's just very likable. You know, big smile, seems like a nice guy, very humble. And so I wish him and the Bucks a lot of success I think for them to win a title, though, I mean, 
it's going to have to be all him pretty much. You know, he mm-hmm. he just has to reach that point and maybe he can do it. He's so physically gifted where he just puts the team on his back and says, I'm the best player in the world and just, you know, goes through the East and then the finals. But I got to say, I'll be rooting for the Bucks. So I agree with you. Uh, you know, for his chance to win the title, it wasn't a right decision. But it's glad to see a big star staying, like the, a massive star staying in a small market. Um, I do th- agree again that, like, I, I think he's getting much better as a player. He's a back-to-back MVP, and he still has room to grow as a player. Like, he still has places to, he can improve. And uh, it will be him having to carry the load. But they're in the East, so it's, you know, very feasible that they make the finals. You know, it might be hard to overcome a Western Conference team with the, their roster, but... But uh, I hope that I hope they perform well. I hope they make at least the conference finals this time. And um, yeah, he's fun to watch. He's fun to watch. So I think we're both glad he's staying in Milwaukee. All right, moving on to the next story. This is this was kind of an interesting story to me that came out of college football. So the commissioner of the AAC, which is one of the newer conferences that kind of absorbed teams from everywhere, but is the Group of Five. So right under the power five, the kind of mid-majors really, was saying that he thinks that they, the college football should go back to a BCS model if the college football playoff committee continues on the way they are. And basically what he's sent referencing is like these mid-major teams have no shot to get into the playoff no matter how good or bad, how good they are, not bad, how good they are because they're just getting no love. And um, I want to get your take on it. I just think, I mean, first for me is I think that the COVID season has exposed that really because like the, the committee is doing everything they can to put Ohio state into the playoff. Um, I don't think that's the problem. Well, but it, it just seems like it seems like he might have a point. He's not saying that they should do it now. Uh, he was he, saying that he's right. Yeah. But like Cincinnati is undefeated. Uh, UCF lost one game in like two years and never got a sniff of the college football playoff and they're both in the AAC. This is the Okay. Th- First question for you. What is the AAC? What does that stand for? Uh American Athletic Conference. Oh, okay. okay. So this th- they have some good like good teams in there that were formerly Power 5 teams, right? The U- or um USF and Cincinnati were both in the Big East. But, uh they got UCF who was like undefeated for two straight years. I got you. I got you. Let's 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 cut to the chase here. But uh, I want to get your what take. What you're saying? You- I, I mean, I agree with you. I think it's BS uh, that these teams cannot get into the title game no matter what they do. However, and so yeah, yeah, maybe. And everybody hated on the BCS when it was around. And you know, before that, people hated it when there was no playoff and it was just the AP Top 25. I think in college football, we're just kind of destined to hate whatever mechanism we have in place Mm -hmm. to decide. You know, until we have like a larger tournament, I guess people will just always be angry and there probably will be another large tournament. But I mean, I think he's right. And I think the big thing this week was Florida only going down like one spot in the rankings, even though they got their second loss of the season. I think that's what triggered a lot of this BS, which and that is BS. Okay. Um, because I think that these smaller schools should have a chance. You know, I would if Cincinnati goes undefeated. If Cincinnati goes undefeated, I think they should get a like be above Texas A and M, for example. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, do I think they should be above a one loss Clemson or Notre Dame? No, I do not. So I think the the answer is maybe a combination of both. So what he's referencing in the BCS is that was all like computers 
calculating scores that put teams into the national championship, mm-hmm. right? He's saying like at least that's un- unbiased because it seems like the, yeah. the college football committee playoff committee is is biased. They are putting they certainly are power five schools ahead of everybody regardless of record. Um, so I, maybe there's a combination there. Maybe it's use computer models as an unbiased way of putting four teams into a playoff. I think ultimately the best. I almost answer- feel like do I really need like all this like advanced computer models? Like I feel like me and you right now are like three guys at a bar could come up with a better you know like just like pick teams better it, it, than to your like, point these, someone will pick that apart dumb committee you know to your point someone would just like annihilate our argument you know it's someone's always going to complain you're right about that i think the ultimate answer is to expand the playoff but again i think you're right that they'll never do that uh, but i thought that was an interesting story because um i think if this continues that there will be a big surge of people wanting this to come back because you know, it really is fundamentally unfair that a team like an undefeated team like Cincinnati has no shot at the title game. I agree, and yet, you know, listen, I'm you're a much bigger college football fan than I am. I know, I know. This year, there's been some talk about USC, who is undefeated, but apparently they've just beaten like a bunch of schlubs. Garbage, yeah. right? So, I, but I don't know. I mean, that's a big program, you know, huge names. I just don't know where you draw the line on these things. Like, no, like these wins count, but these don't. So. Yeah, this year's a tough year. I mean, people are playing different amounts of games. Uh, but I think the the point is fair. The point is fair. And we haven't seen a small school get into the playoff yet. I think the smallest – I don't think there's been, like, one small school yet. I mean, it's all been major blue blood programs um, since the playoff yeah. came up came about. I can't think of any. Yeah. So, anyway, let's let's move on to the next thing. We're going to get talk about the NFL for a minute. So – this weekend, or the other day, it came out that Jason Garrett, offensive coordinator for the Giants, got COVID. So he is out for this weekend's game. Do you know who's replacing him as the play caller for the Giants? I do know. Freddie Kitchens. Yes. You know who the Giants are playing? Cleveland Browns. The Cleveland Browns. This is the Freddie Kitchens revenge game. I'm looking at your face. You look really excited for <laughs> I this. I think it's hilarious. I think it's hilarious. First of all, that the Giants would pick Freddie Kitchens to call the plays. Like, why would you do that? His track record is terrible. He, matter of fact, he has like no track record. Um, I just don't understand Freddie Kitchens calling the plays. Are you thinking that Freddie Kitchens is going to pull it off in his revenge game against his his former team. When I first read this headline, I thought it was like finding out that Alex Jones was like the vice president and like (laughs) Joe Biden, you know, had just had a stroke or something like, wow, we're only like one step away from like this idiot taking control. Uh, But then, you know, I thought about it for a second and well, listen, first off thoughts and prayers to our boy, Jason Garrett. He's a fan of the podcast. We love you, Jason. Get better soon. Uh, but I just want to say, I mean, actually, I don't think this is bad at all. People forget Freddie Kitchens was fine when he was the play caller for Baker Mayfield, his rookie year. He did fine with those duties. Okay. I think the guy can call a place. He's just a terrible coach. When you get to things like clock management and discipline, Freddie Kitchens is not your guy. But I think in this role as play caller, he's going to be fine this week. And 
it's also, I believe, Colt McCoy is going to be under center. It's looking like Daniel Jones banged up his ankle as well as his hamstring is what I've heard. So and so I believe it'll also be a revenge, a revenge game for Colt McCoy as well, right? Because he was on the Browns at one point. He's been on like every team. Yeah, I believe he's on the Browns at one point. But I do not think that this is as big of a deal as other people. And, you know, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and root for Freddie Kitchens to beat the Browns. And I think it could happen. You know, the Browns coming off an emotional Monday night loss. So... Hey, we'll see what happens. It is kind of a shocker that this game got flexed to Sunday night. Like, the Browns flexed to Sunday night. What is happening? I'm going to take my boy Cody's side. You know, you're just going to root against him. But I'm rooting for the Browns. I have to root against the Giants by nature. Um, I just think it's interesting that Joe Judge, the head coach for the Giants, he's an offensive. He was a wide receivers coach for the Patriots. So he's an offensive guy. I thought he was a special teams coach. I think he was the wide receivers coach. Want to make a bet on that? Yeah. Okay, what are we betting on the air here? Five five spot? Well, we're going to bet. Friendly five. Why don't we just bet a drink? How about we bet drinks? Well, there's no bars to go to. There's COVID-19. Yeah, you're going to drink my drinks. Friendly five. All right, five. Well, we just looked it up. He was actually both, so it's a push. It's a push. Wow, we were both right. Um, But, you know, he... I, I just find it interesting that he he's not going to attempt to call plays. I mean, I guess I I actually like that he's not doing that. I mean, I mean I so many that. coaches try to do too much. I think this is good that he's able to delegate responsibility. I, I agree. I respect it. I just I find it interesting that you know, kind of in this specific scenario, that he wouldn't try and take that on. But um, you know, good for him being able to separate himself from that. But I'm rooting for Fred, or I'm rooting against Freddie Kitchens. You know, Cody, I'm staying strong with you, buddy. So let's go Browns. All right, and the last story I want to talk about today is it came out today that the the New Orleans Saints are going to start Drew Brees on Sunday against the Chiefs. I think it's great for the matchup, but I want to get do you think it's right for the Saints to do that considering their playoff hopes this year? This is a tough question. Obviously, they think they still have a chance at the bye. You know, I, I don't think they would put... I, I think he must be healed enough to the point where he he's not going to do further damage to himself. I don't think they would risk him like that. This is a team that's pretty cautious. I mean, as someone who owned Michael Thomas in fantasy this year, trust me, they are willing to hold injured players out for a very long time. Uh, so, Drew, I hope you're right. And, you know, last I checked, uh, the guy giving pain shots for the Saints is not the same guy <laughs> who gives them for the Los Angeles Chargers and Tyrod Taylor. So I think Drew is going to be just fine out there this Sunday. But, hey, that'll be an exciting matchup. I mean, Drew Brees, Patrick Mahomes is going to be the only time we'll get to see it in our lifetime unless they meet up in the Super Bowl. So I'm I, looking forward to it. I hope he's healthy. I'm 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 kind of concerned that they're doing this in desperation to get that first round by, mm-hmm. which I think is a big mistake. If he's not 100%, I would not I would sacrifice the buy because I think they're going to lose this game anyway. Well, yeah, they might lose the game anyway. Um but it's I'm um, if he's 100%, I'm excited for this game. It should be one of the best games of the year on paper at least. But um I I kind of feel like they're just really desperate to get the buy since there's only one buy this year with the new playoff format. And I'm really nervous that he is not 100%, and they're just like figuring they can't win with Taysom Hill after the Eagles kind of held him in check last week. Well, I I just had one more thing I wanted to talk about on this show. I mean, I suggested it. We talked about it in the dealing section, but Sam wouldn't let me. Uh, I just wanted to say that Robert Lewandowski, you know, he, he was named FIFA player of the year uh the Bayern Munich player uh I've muted his mic sorry you know but Sam just hates talking about soccer so we couldn't talk about this personally 
I thought I thought Messi was going to win. I thought he's back in form this year, but you know, maybe we'll talk about soccer next year. Who knows? Well, all right, people. That wraps up this episode whoa, of the whoa, show. Whoa. Uh, listen, if you want to email the show, you can email us anytime at spielinganddealing at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. I've been Patrick Harrison. He's been Sam Oliver. We love you guys. Thanks for listening.